Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for your presence in this place. And we ask you, Lord, that as we now enter into a time of reading your word, hearing what it says to us, God, I pray that our hearts would be transformed, our minds would be renewed, and that, God, we would be able to test and approve what your will is, your good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. We're going to do something a little different today. Um, today we're going to wrap up our home teaching series. And specifically, it's really a message that's targeted to these guys right here. And, but it's for everybody, all right? This is, this is a message for parents. It's a message for grandparents. It's a message for every one of us. But specifically... I just want to talk to you guys. I want us to talk. Jared kind of, uh, he tells me, he goes, Dad, you lecture for a living. So I'm going to lecture for just a few minutes, okay? So actually, it's not really lecture. But we're going to talk about home, and we're going to talk about three questions that could save your life. Now, before we get to that, if you need a Bible, I've got a couple of guys that are going to pass out some Bibles. If you need a Bible, you just raise your hand, and uh, they will get that to you. You can keep that, you can uh, turn it back into our next, step, next Steps table, or if you want to take that Bible with you, if you have a friend that you want to give a Bible to, you feel free to take this with you, give that to that person as a gift uh, from you, from our church, and, uh, and that'll be uh, on, on you and on us, okay? So you feel free to take that uh, with you. Um, before we get started, let me... Put it in, let me frame today with these particular statements. First of all, I want you to know that your church loves you, okay? Your church loves you very much. Uh, Secondly, your pastor loves you very much. And I know that Wade loves you very much as well. Uh, Thirdly, Jesus loves you incredibly, all right? So much so that he laid his life down for you. You guys have heard that. Um, and then finally, we believe in you guys. We do. We believe in you. We believe that as our church grows, as we continue to experience what God does in our lives, you know, you guys grow up. You guys develop. You mature. You are preparing to leave your house. At least that's what your parents are hoping will happen, Okay. Yeah, it's. it's uh, <laughs> I heard that. Yes, it's gonna happen. So for you, uh, foster kids, okay, out the door. All right, breed loves go the same way. I'm sure it's gonna be like that for everybody. Okay, but you're being prepared to get out of the house. So you're growing, you're developing, you're changing. You're you're you are challenged with a lot of different things that are thrown at you at school you're challenged with your beliefs what you what you believe about god what you believe about life what you believe about what's right what's wrong you're challenged in a lot of different areas okay as your church family we've got your back okay and we want to see you guys grow deeper in your walk with the lord We want to see you guys take this and have a high view 
of what God's Word is and what it says to you so that as you enter into that thing called adult world and you get on out of high school and you get on out of college, that you have this as your foundation for life so that when those times come where you're doubting your faith, where you may be challenged in some areas, you always go back to this, all right? Or maybe when you're faced with certain decisions, you know, that are potentially compromising who you are, who your family is, what you believe about Jesus, what you believe about God, okay, all of those things, we want to help you to go back to this as the source of your life, your, your, the foundation that God gives us for truth, okay? Uh, because truth is going to be one of those things that is going to be challenged in your life, big time. Especially you go, on, you go move on into college, all right? What you believe about truth is going to be challenged. It's going, you're going to hit it head on, all right? So what we want to be able to do is to help lay that groundwork in your life so that when those challenges come, when those times of decision come, that you are able to stand on this, okay? That's our heart. That's what we believe as a church and what we want to do in terms of helping you guys, okay? So your pastor loves you, your church loves you, Jesus loves you, and we believe in you big time. We really do, all right? So to get started, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verses 1 through 3. We'll have it up on the screen too. Okay, but Ephesians chapter 1, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then it says in verse 2, Paul says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Okay, now Paul's first statement, when you look at this passage of Scripture, Paul's making two statements. All right. First one is, children, obey your parents. Second one is, honor your mother and your father. A little bit of a different wording there. Okay, So one is about following instructions that your parents give you. The other one is about setting value on your parents. Not just because of who they are, but because of what they say. Okay, So you have obey your parents and you have honor your mother and your father. Now, what Paul does in this particular passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, he takes that first statement, children, obey your parents, for this is right. Okay, he's taking that out of the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs was written by King Solomon, who is still known as the wisest person that ever lived. Okay, so Paul is taking a statement out of the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, and he is applying it to the children at the children, in the children of Ephesus, who in that particular community was inundated with different beliefs, all right? Different gods, all right? You following me? So here they are, they're in this community, and they are what they refer to as a polytheistic society, okay? There were multiple, there were multiple gods. Now, in our day and age, this right here can be a god, we spend more time, and really when you determine, you know, how you determine what is a God, okay? What is an idol, all right? When you spend more time on something like this, 
that can be a God. When you, your girlfriend or your boyfriend, those can be gods. When you spend way too much time with those people and you are taken away from time with the Lord, there is that imbalance in it, which takes priority. That is your God. In this case, in the book of Ephesians, with the, in the children here, all right, they were living in a polytheistic society. They were living in a community where there were multiple gods that they could worship, is what they were doing. Okay? So, Paul is writing to the families here as a survival manual, so to speak. All right? So it's a survival manual. Here's not only how you survive, but how you thrive. And he specifically addresses the family, and he gets down to the kids. All right? So he's wanting to get down on the lowest level possible to the children. He's wanting to get down to the the heart of you. So he's speaking to every one of your hearts right here. Okay? And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he says, honor your mother and your father so that you may live long. So that first one, obey your parents, he gets that straight out of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2. Listen to this. He says in, in Proverbs 6, chapter 6, verse 20, it says, My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, if we just left it alone right there, okay? Keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. That would be enough. But the writer of, of Proverbs goes on to a little bit more. And he says this, bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way of life. Okay. So Paul's taking that passage and he's applying it to the children in Ephesus. And we too, that can be applied to. Now the second statement that he makes is out of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 12. It's the fifth commandment. It's the fifth commandment. It's the only one with a promise. We're going to talk about it in just a second. But his second commandment is an echo of that fifth commandment that God had given Moses to teach the Israelites in preparation as they entered into the promised land. When he says, honor your mother and your father so that you may live long in the land that your, the Lord your God is giving you. Here, here's the truth that I want us to understand. All right. Here's the truth. God places a high value on your parents and the instruction that they give you so that you can live life to the fullest. God has placed a high value on those people right back there and the instructions that they give you so that you can live life to the fullest. That's God's design. That's His plan for you. That's His plan for me, even as a child, look, the Bible, there, there is no timeline on that, chap, on that fifth commandment. Honor your, honor your father and mother, you know, until you're 20. No, I'm 45 and I still have to honor, I get to honor my family. Okay? I get to. And as long as my parents are living, 
My job as their child is to do that very thing, to honor them. There is no timeline for that particular commandment that God gives us. But what it does do is that it places a high value on who they are in your life. They are there specifically to teach you, to help you to get to that point of living a full and glorious life. Now, we'll tell you this. In this room, all right, people, you know, back here, every one of us in this room can tell you examples and give you examples of, not, of what not to do. I think probably for most of us in this room, we probably all have PhDs and DUMB, okay? Now, you'll get that in a minute. In a minute, okay. Our goal, okay, our goal as parents, our goal as families, is to equip you, to help you in your walk with the Lord so that you guys don't make those same mistakes that we did, all right? So when your parents are wigging out, okay, over what you think is annoying or stupid or ridiculous or whatever you want to term that, okay, just know that there is a little bit of history that we have behind us and that we're trying to help you not make that same mistake. That's our goal. We want to help you. We want to help you thrive. We want to help you live life to the absolute fullest. That's our desire. Okay? That's our heart. But even more than that, not about just behaviorally, but even more, we want to help you spiritually. We want to help you grow deeper in your relationship with the, with the Lord so that, so that when it is, so that your faith is not simply your parents' faith, but it's yours. You own it. All right? And that what you're doing, how you live your life, is because of what God is doing in your heart. Okay? And that you're not just following a, a set of rules that maybe somebody has imposed on you, okay? What we're talking about is a real, authentic faith that you guys are growing in and that God is working in your heart and that you are connecting with God and God is revealing himself through his word. That's what we want to help you guys accomplish. We want to help you own your own faith. Okay, but that owning your faith has to start right here. We can give you the direction. We can give you the, all right, this is the direction we want to go. It's right here. Okay, but that's what we want to be able to do. Now, let's talk about a little biblical example here. Daniel, all right, in the book of Daniel, has three friends, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we have Daniel and his three Companions, great example that we can take a look at here. When it comes to when it comes to how we should live, and the convictions that we need to incorporate into our own lives, and so that we can have a better understanding of who our parents are, what what their role is in our lives. Okay, so the scriptures it, it is it is filled with examples of men and women who lived out their faith. Some died for it, 
but others continue to live. And they set an incredible example. And one of those guys was Daniel. Now, if you look in the, we're not going to go and go into depth into Daniel's life, but just a few things, okay? Now, Daniel was a young guy. He was presumed to be a teenager. And he was captured. He was, part of the, he was part of the Jewish royal family. He was captured, and he was taken into captivity into King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, service. And what they did is they wanted to take these young men. They brought them in, and they were going to feed them the king's food, the king's wine. They were going to train them up in the king's army in the Babylonian way. They were going to teach them. Matter of fact, they had to go through three years of basically relearning a whole new culture, Babylonian literature, Babylonian culture, everything, all right? So these guys, they come in, they're in captivity, they are being trained, and one of the things that they have to do is they have to eat the king's food and the king's wine. That was part of the deal. But Daniel, he resolved in his heart to not defile himself with the king's food and the king's wine. He was resolved in his heart. There was, he was not going to do it. Even if it, if it meant death for Daniel, he was not going to do it. So Daniel, in his own wisdom, he goes to the chief official that's over him, and he begs him, he asks him for permission to not eat the king's food and the king's wine and to feed them a diet of just simply vegetables for the next 10 days. Now, God had done a work in the chief official and allowed Daniel uh, to and his friends to eat that particular diet. And when that particular 10 days was up and the chief official gauged who Daniel was, his, his physique, his, his look, everything about him, he realized that what was happening in Daniel's life and what was happening in his friend's life was nothing but the Lord. And he gave him favor. All right. So Daniel was committed. He was not going to resolve. He was not going to defile himself with the king's food. Now, it would have been very easy to just do that. I mean, I'm sure the king's food, because it was coming straight from the king's table, it was going to be really, really good food. But Daniel was not going to have anything of it. Not going to do it. So there was a resolution in his heart that said, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to put myself, even though that temptation is there, i got to say no. i got to say no. It was a conviction. It was a, it was a matter of the heart. And it really goes back to his relationship with the Lord. So he resolved to not defile himself by eating the king's food. So the three years of, of, of training go by. And the Bible says that there, is, there was none found greater and Daniel and his three friends, and they were placed into the king's service. But sometime during that time of being in the king's service, there was a point where King Nebuchadnezzar had established this gold image. And during this time, he expected every person, didn't matter what nationality you were, he expected every person at the sound of all of the instruments that were going to be played at the same time, okay, it was a cacophony of just instruments, at that time, everybody in that particular place was to bow down and to worship the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, what do you think Daniel did? If he wasn't going to eat the king's food and, the king's, and drink the king's wine, there was no way he was going to be going and bowing down to a, to a god made of gold because he knew that that particular god made of gold was no god at all. And he 
because of his resolution in his heart towards the Lord, to love the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength, when that particular proposition was made, Daniel's response was, no, I can't do it. His friends, it was the same way. No, I can't do it. Not going to. All right? So there was a refusal to to bow. There was a refusal to worship a gold image that was really no God at all. Powerless. So they refused, but then after they refused, they were then caught, they were then confronted, and because they were they would not bow down because they would not worship, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. But listen to this. Before they were tossed into this furnace, I want you to hear their heart. And I want this to really be something that sinks deep into your heart and your soul as a student, as a teenager, moving into this young adulthood, okay? Listen to this. It says, this is what they said. They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And... He will deliver us, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, they're telling the king this, okay? And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. That's how big of a God we think he is and we believe that God is. But then they said this, but, King Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to know this. Even if God does not deliver us, even if he doesn't deliver us, you can throw us into that fiery furnace and we may die. Fine. If God does not deliver us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now here's the truth. The truth is, is that these guys were not going to compromise their faith even if their life depended on it. They were not going to compromise. What about you? If, you're, if your life is at stake because of your faith, because of what you believe, what are you going to do? What would you do? Would you, would you run and hide? Would you give in to the temptation? Would you give in to... No, listen. Take note of what these guys did. Even if God does not deliver us from your hand... We're not going to bow. Not going to. Because the God we serve is the God we love. For Daniel and his friends, their love for God, their search for wisdom, and their commitment to, I believe, honor their families, it created a mindset, a conviction. Get this. It created a conviction that they would not Forfeit their faith for something that was counterfeit to their faith. They would not forfeit their faith for something that was counterfeit to their faith. And guess what? It saved their lives. Because when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, they were thrown in and it was turned up seven times hotter. It was so hot that the guard standing outside the fiery furnace literally died from the heat from that furnace. But Daniel and his three friends, okay, actually his three friends, they're in the fiery furnace, okay, 
They're in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and says, weren't there three people that were thrown in there? But I see a fourth one, and he looks like the son of the God. And God was with them. He was with them during that whole time. And when they made that commitment, when they made that commitment, that, that heart, that resolution that they would not bow down, God honored that. He honored it. So today, here's what I want us to do. Today I want to give you three questions that could potentially save your life. Okay? Three questions that can potentially save your life. First of all, what is wisdom? Is it wise? Okay? That's the first question. Is it wise? And parents, if y'all want to write these things down, and you can talk about these later, maybe you're on the lunch table or dinner table tonight, it would be a great conversation. Okay? First of all, is it wise? So what is wisdom? Well, you've got human wisdom. You've got godly wisdom. Now, I had an experience a little few weeks ago and I grew in wisdom on what not to do. Don't ever back up a truck and have it connected and running at the same time and have it um, hit a Leland Cypress that's, part, that's growing right next to your house. Because what happens is the heat from a tailpipe from a truck on a dry tree like a Leland Cypress, it will combust. And it will catch fire. And it could literally light your house on fire. Now, me, whenever I back up a truck, I will always now make sure that when my truck is backed up or whatever I'm driving, I will never have it parked next to a tree and have it running. I grew in wisdom. Okay? Yay. Scared to death after that. Okay? But I grew. So our experiences help us to grow in wisdom, but we have basically two different kinds of wisdom, all right? We've got human wisdom, and we've got godly wisdom, or God's wisdom. Now, human wisdom promises that you can change your relationships without needing to change yourself. That's what human wisdom says. You can change your relationships without ever changing you. The problem is, is that we will then wind up settling for far less than what God desires for our lives and your relationships. Now, God's wisdom is a little different, okay? God's wisdom is a little different. God's wisdom is infinite, it's immeasurable, and it is, it is something that is limitless. It's, it, you cannot measure God's wisdom at all. Can't do it. So let's consider creation, all right? So creation, it has an immeasurable number of galaxies. A measurable number. The rotation of the earth on its axis. The position of the earth. If it's too close to the sun, it's going to burn up. If it's too far away from the sun, it's going to freeze. We're not going to be, either way, we're not going to be able to live on a, a planet that is habitable. Can't do it. Consider from the very beginning that God, he, he charged the moon with the responsibility to govern the night, to give us light during the night, and he charged the sun with the responsibility of governing the day. He gave those things responsibilities. Consider the depths of the ocean. Consider the breadth of the ocean. Consider how, how you're formed. Consider that God knew you before, as you were being formed in your mother's womb. God knew you. 
And he developed you. He, he knit you together. Consider that. Here's what we gather from that. God's wisdom is greater, is more vast than the universe itself. And that's really, 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 really big. Really big. But God's wisdom is so much more. So much more. Scripture reminds us that God is the source of all wisdom. He's the source of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Scripture also teaches that authentic wisdom starts in the realm of spiritual things. Going back to our friend Solomon, who's the wisest person that ever lived, he said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. He urged us to get it, to go for it. And our need for wisdom really should motivate us to know God and to know His Word. Our need for that. Because if we, if we don't turn to God, okay, then we'll never really truly become wise. Because He's the source of all wisdom. You may think you're wise. You may think you know it. But that knowledge, that wisdom, everything is going to come from the Lord. And that comes from your relationship with Him. So how do you get it? How do you get wisdom? Well, based on what the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, you ask for it. You ask for it. If any of you, the Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God for it. Plain and simple. Doesn't sound too hard, does it? So, as you pray, as you are growing in your relationship, just simply say, God, would you give me wisdom here? Give me wisdom. Ask for it. And he will give it to you. He'll give it to you. The question, is it wise, is really a question of what does God think or what does God say about this? What does God think about the decision I'm about to make? What does God say about this decision or behavior or attitude that I'm demonstrating? What does he say about it? And then as he gives you wisdom, then you follow that. You follow that. The most unwise choice that you can ever make in this life. This is the most unwise choice you can ever make. Okay? The most unwise choice that you can ever make is to deny yourself the privilege of receiving the wisdom from God. It's the most unwise choice you can ever make. Because He alone gives the greatest wisdom that you can ever have. And that comes from a beginning, and it begins with a personal relationship with Him. Okay, second question. So is it wise? Second question, is it biblical? Is it biblical? In order to answer that question, you've got to know the Word. You've got to read the Word. You've got to know the author of it. And then you've got to do it. Practice it. Put it into practice each and every day. Okay? James 1.22 says this, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do exactly what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. 
Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and then continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So let me give you a little modern day illustration, application here, okay? Because this is something that you guys are going to be faced with, all right? Maybe not right now, but maybe later, okay? And you need to have something like this little foundation here set and ready to answer this. And things like it. Cohabitation or moving in with your girlfriend or your boyfriend before you're married is very much widely accepted. Okay? We hear about it all the time. I get, I get people that will come to me and ask me to do their weddings. And one of the first questions I ask, well, tell me about your living arrangements. Well, you know, a lot of times they're living together. Culturally, that has become the norm. That has become widely accepted. And it's something that you guys are going to face. Okay? It'll, it'll be something that you face. Now, the reason that it's becoming more of the norm, okay, and it is the norm, is that, first of all, many deny the wisdom of marriage. They really just deny the wisdom of marriage. Marriage is seen as something that can happen once things are in order. Okay? Now, 50 years ago, even more, man, people were getting married when they were teenagers. They were 17, 18. My grandmother was married when she was 19. She had her, actually, actually she had her first baby when she was 19. And it was her and my granddad and they were happily married, and they began in their family. My, my first aunt, okay, was born when my grandmother was 19 years old. They, they were starting earlier. Today, it's a lot later when people are getting married. It's probably not a bad thing, all right, to wait a little bit longer, okay? It's probably not a bad thing, but it's probably a good thing to be wise about. But here, though, marriage is seen as something that you do once things are in order, okay? I don't know if everything is going to be in order before you get married, all right? Um, there's a lot of lessons that you learn in marriage that you'll just have to learn when you get there, okay? But that's, for, for the most part, that's where people are. Combat compatibility, okay, is a huge motivator for people moving in together and living together and all this kind of stuff, all right? They see it as a financially wise solution, all right? But, but here's the thing. After five to seven years of people actually living together and moving in together and, and cohabitating between five and seven years, after about that period of time, get this, 39% of those relationships have ended. 21% of those relationships are still cohabitating. They're still living together. They're not married. So if you do the math, 60% are not married at all. The other 40% did get married, and when you take that and you compare that to what our your national average is or your, or your worldwide, your global average on marriages, when if over 50% of them are ending in divorce, I would say that those who cohabitate do not have a chance to survive. And here's the other thing. This type of lifestyle, at its core, it seeks to reap the benefits of marriage without having the commitment. 
It takes work. It takes commitment. It takes, it takes, it is one of the hardest things, or hardest relationships you'll ever be in. Because you've got two people, both of whom are very imperfect, both of whom are big time sinners, and you're bringing her stuff, you're bringing his stuff into a relationship, and it is a huge collision. It's a huge collision. And these people are going into this relationship, and this cohabitating relationship, thinking, oh, we're going to do a little test drive, make sure this thing works out okay. <laughs> First sign of conflict, boom, see ya. I'm out. Girl gets pregnant, I'm out. Dude that knocked her up is off on somewhere else. Okay? So the question is, is, is that type of relationship biblical? Is that type of cohabitation relationship, is it biblical? The answer is no. It's sin. And you can take a look in John chapter 4 when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he says, go and tell your husband. Go and get your husband. And the, and the lady there says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right. You don't have a husband. Matter of fact, you've been married five times and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. Now, Jesus was not doing that to condemn her. He was doing that to address her heart's condition. And he was doing that to say, look, the life that you're living is not godly. The life that you're living is empty, and I am the one that is going to give you the living water that you come searching for right now. She thought she was going to get water from a well. She got water from a living well. And then she went, and then she told everybody that she knew, who Jesus was. So Jesus, yes, he confronted the, the sin of what she was in, but then he set her free from it with his love and with the water that he gave her. It was a beautiful transformation. So is it biblical? No. Is it sin? Yes. How does God treat it? He addresses it head on. He calls it what it is. And then he says, there is hope and there's redemption for you. So is it biblical? You've got to know the word. God's word is infallible. It is, that means that it is impossible to be wrong. Okay? It is impossible to be wrong. It is inspired. In other words, it's something that God has breathed life into and he's given it to you and to me in order to grow from and live from and to thrive from. It's God's word. Third question. We're going to wrap up with this one. Third question. So first question was what? Is it wise? Second question is, is it biblical? Third question is, is it honorable to my family? Is it honorable to my family? When the Ten Commandments were given, you have the first four Really, uh, the first four commandments really address your relationship with God. The, the last five address your relationship with mankind. The fifth commandment addresses your relationship with your mom and your dad. Big time. The word honor, it means to set a price for to set a price for. Here's the thing. 
God has placed great value on your parents. Great value. Tremendous value on them. Your mom and your dad, God has placed so much value on them that he made a commandment for you, specifically for you and your relationship at home. They are designed by God. Here's the thing. Your parents are designed by God to develop your view and your relationship with God. They serve as an example of God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his anything that you could think of about God, okay? His compassion, his presence, his truth, everything you can think of, okay? They serve as that example for you to watch and for you to see. Now, we live in a broken world, and not all parents are like that. They don't give you a great view of, of who God is and what he can do in your life. And, his, and, and, and we have a, and, and we can sometimes view God as some distant thing that people talk about, but you just don't have a lot of hope for. And that's because we live in a broken world. But that does not give us permission to not honor them. Our job as kids, our job as children of our parents is to honor our parents. Here's, a, here's the life application I want you to take with you, okay, is this. If your actions, your attitudes, and your decisions would dishonor your parents, then don't do it. Don't do it. But you've got to ask the question, is this honorable to my parents? If it's going to bring dishonor to your family, then I'd say don't do it. The only reason that I would say do it is if it was written in the Word where God told you to do something, okay? Much like in Jesus' case, when he was about his father's business and he had walked away from his parents, and his parents were like, where have you been all this time? And what did Jesus say? I've been in my father's house. I've been about my father's business. Okay? He didn't dishonor his parents. He honored them completely. But he was about obeying God. Some of you may have friends that are coming from, from other traditions, other faiths, other beliefs. And to believe in Jesus Christ is actually to, would be an actual dishonor to their, to their family. Okay? I would say, and that is a hu- that's a huge thing, especially in the Muslim world. Okay? To believe in Jesus Christ is going to bring dishonor to their family. In this case... Okay, that what I just said, if your actions, attitudes, and decisions would dishonor your parents, don't do it, that would not apply. Because in this case, all right, if it's a matter of belief, if it means being disowned by your family because of your love for Jesus, then you love Jesus and you pursue him. But if there is something in you, action, attitude, decision, whatever, that's going to bring dishonor to your family, be careful not to do it. I want to give you a challenge 
Proverbs has 31 chapters. It's the book of wisdom. I want to encourage you to take some time, maybe over this next month, and begin to read a proverb a day and to grow in wisdom. Okay? And parents, when your kids screw up and they do bring dishonor to you, just remember Psalm 103, 8 through 14, which says that as a father has compassion on his children, okay, so God has compassion on us and he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Sometimes we want to tell our kids, we want to pinch their heads off. Maybe knock them upside the head with a two by four or whatever course of action you want to take. But be a father of compassion. Be gracious. Not enabling and condoning their sin, but recognizing it and how they were formed and being like God, not treating us as our sins deserve. So, three questions. Is it wise? Is it biblical? And does it honor your family? Those three questions could definitely save your life. And I hope that what you've heard today is straight from the Word and that you've applied it and that you will apply it in what God has called you to do. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. God, I know today's been uh, a little lengthy with some of this content. But God, it's important for us as a church to really dive into the heart of our students and even ourselves. One, God, that we learn how you parent us. That you don't treat us as our sins deserve, but as a father has compassion on his kids, you have compassion on us. And I pray that that would be our desire, our model of parenting. God, I thank you for these students. I thank you for their homes. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for their families. I thank you for where you've placed them. And my prayer, God, is that they would look to you as the source of all wisdom. I pray, God, that they would look to you and your word as the source of truth. And God, I pray that they would see their families, their moms, their dads, whether they are adopted, in foster care, whatever the relationship may be, God, that they would see that you love them and that you, Father, have set a great value on their parents to instruct them and to present to their children a picture of grace, a picture of compassion, a picture of forgiveness, a demonstration of the truth. As you reflect on what has been shared this morning, maybe you have adults, maybe you have some broken relationships with maybe a, a sibling or maybe a parent or two. And you need to make that right with them. I want to challenge you to, to make that relationship right. Make it right. 
Maybe there's some relationship concerns between you and your children that need to be made whole. I want to encourage you to take this message and to have the conversation around the dinner table and just listen. Just listen to your kids. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as your kid talks, just listen. And just listen to their heart. Maybe your relationship with the Lord is out of alignment. And you need to be reestablished there. I want to encourage you to take a moment and just ask God to forgive you and to restore the relationship. Maybe you need to apply those three questions. Is it wise that I do this? Is it biblical that I do this? And does this honor my parents? Does this honor my family? And as you ask those questions, it could very well save your life. If you have any particular spiritual decisions today and you haven't had a chance to turn in that Connect card, I want to encourage you, as you leave today, you can drop that off at our Next Steps table and we can certainly follow up with you there. Or if you need to talk with me or if you need to talk with Wade, we'll be here and ready to talk and pray with you through whatever it is you may be dealing with. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your word and for how it speaks to us. God, we love you. Thank you for our students. Thank you for their heart. And I pray, Father, that you will continue to raise them up as the next generation that leads us out. In spirit and in truth. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.